Good evening. This evening we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. When we consider the good news about what Jesus did, the good news is the news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And while we rightly focus on his death, that sacrificial death on behalf of sinners, something we do need to consider is his life. What makes this man a, an acceptable sacrifice to God? Why is it that when God looks at Jesus, he sees nothing but righteousness? How is it that I can be considered righteous because of the life that Jesus did, the, the life that Jesus lived. Well, the Bible talks about Jesus as our high priest. And what is the job of a priest? The job of a priest is to represent God before the people and to represent the people before God. And the book of Hebrews calls Jesus our high priest, and rightly so. Uh, Hebrews, if we look at... Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, the author writes this, for, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to those, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people." For he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, or for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. When we consider our predicament and we look back to how it all started, it started off with temptations, temptations in the garden, temptations from Satan to Adam, our first parent. Adam, our first representative. You might even call him our federal head. He is the one who acted on behalf of all mankind, and it was his actions that caused a curse to fall on all mankind. Just as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans that through one transgression there resulted the condemnation of all men. But in Jesus, we see something else, and we see this in the passage that we'll be looking at. What makes Jesus the perfect high priest? Well, as we'll see, because when Jesus was tempted, he did not give in. When Jesus was tempted, he succeeded where all those who came before him have failed. So, I want to read this passage in Matthew chapter 4. We'll read it, pray, and we'll get into the message. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, 
If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Our Father, we are thankful for what we see in Jesus, in the life of Jesus. We are thankful that he lived the life that we could not live. We are thankful that even when he was tempted at all points, just as we were, he remained without sin so that he could be the perfect representative for us so that we can see the example in him of how we are to react when we too fall into temptation. We are thankful for what is written here of your son in his wilderness wanderings for 40 days. We pray that we would be blessed by the reading and discussion of your word this evening, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jesus is being led into the wilderness. Remember what had just happened. If we look to the previous chapter, we see that the ministry of Christ had just begun, and it began with the baptism at the Jordan in a very spectacular way. We remember John is a prophet. John was the first prophet that the people of Israel had seen in about 400 years, and they were very excited about him. Yes, this is the one. He's the forerunner to the Messiah. That means the Messiah is coming. This man is the prophet. He is pointing ahead. He is preparing the way. And now what happens? But the Messiah comes to John. John baptizes the Messiah, and amazingly, he comes out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descends and rests on Jesus, just as Isaiah said that the Spirit would rest on the servant. And a voice from heaven calls out, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What an amazing way to begin a ministry. And this is a very public a miraculous event as well. This is something that people had witnessed. This is something that people had recognized. This is something that everyone was looking forward to, the coming of the Messiah. And here God is calling out from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So how does the ministry of Jesus go from here? We have this great moment where Jesus is recognized as the Messiah, as the Christ. And what is to happen next? Well, surely he is going to find the nearest city and start raising the dead. He's going to start healing the sick. He's going to start multiplying food, turning water into wine, all these wonderful things that we know Jesus for. He's going to begin all these miracles, right? Well, that's not what happens, is it? That's not what we see happens. The Holy Spirit now resting on and dwelling the Son of God And where does the Holy Spirit tell the Son of God to go first? Well, we find that in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In this phrase, led up, it could even be translated as, and Jesus was driven by the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So rather than going and beginning this great work, this great public ministry, rather than going and surrounding himself with faithful followers and engaging with rabbis and teachers and Pharisees, Jesus goes into the desert to be alone with the Spirit. But he's not completely alone. As we see here, he's driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and became hungry. Now, there's some parallels that we find here. And we all watched the Ray Vanderlaan video on this. uh, uh, So I I don't want to repeat too much. And I didn't pick this because Ray Vanderlaan did it. This uh, was a separate idea. (laughs) But uh, so Jesus goes in to the wilderness for 40 days. And that's an echoing of a, a parallel of the people of Israel going into the wilderness for 40 years. What is Jesus to do but fulfill the task that Israel failed to do? Israel was called out by God to be his chosen people. Israel was called his son. They were in the desert to be tempted, to be tested. Then they were to go out into the world. They were to be a light. They were to be the light of the world. And everyone would know, the, everyone would know God through the people of Israel. And just as Israel's journey started off in the desert for 40 years... Jesus' journey begins in the desert for 40 days in order to be tempted. And while he is in the desert, the tempter comes. And the tempter says to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, let's understand what is going on here. Remember, Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days without eating, and he becomes very hungry. And I get hungry after about four hours, so I can't imagine 40 days in the wilderness not eating. And here Jesus is in the wilderness having not eaten, and now at this moment of weakness, at this moment of almost starvation, along comes the tempter telling him, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now let's understand The devil isn't just simply saying to Jesus, well, why don't you go ahead and eat, right? It's not a sin to eat, is it? No, it's not. We'll see later on, Jesus eats plenty during his ministry. He even provides food for many people. It's not a sinful thing to eat. But that's not exactly what the temptation is. Remember what Jesus had just gotten back from, what had happened 40 days earlier. God speaks from heaven to his son, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, how would you expect the son of God to be treated? What uh, do you expect the father, what would you expect that the father would do? Well, uh, it would be expected that he would be sustained and taken care of, right? He is off to an important task, and now the devil finds Jesus, the one who is called the son of God, half-starved in the desert all alone. So what is the temptation here? The devil is saying, you are the son of God, aren't you? Well, if you are the son of God, why are you so hungry? Why haven't you been taken care of? Why haven't you been given what you need to be sustained? Come on, Jesus, think about it for a minute. If you are the son of God, why aren't you eating anything? If you are the Son of God, 
Why hasn't your father given you anything? So this is the temptation. If you are the son of God, take those stones and turn them into bread. You need to take care of yourself, Jesus. If God is not going to take care of you, you need to take care of yourself. And this is very much echoing some of the first temptation that we see. What happened in the garden when Satan encounters Eve? And he first twists the word of God. Oh, has God not given you permission to eat any of the food of the garden? And no, that's not exactly what happens. But what's Satan trying to do? He's trying to convince Eve that, oh, God is trying to keep things from you. God is trying to keep things from you that you deserve to have. He's trying to keep things from you that you would greatly benefit from having. That's the very same temptation here. Come on, Jesus. God isn't taking care of you, so why don't you take matters into your own hands? Take these stones and turn it into bread. You need to live, don't you, son of God? But how does Jesus respond? We saw how our first parents responded and how they would have responded. They, of course, would have found Uh, if they had the ability, would have turned that stone into bread. But how does Jesus respond? But he answered and said, it is written. And this is something that Jesus responds with every single time, this phrase, it is written. And every time we encounter this phrase in the New Testament, what precedes it, uh, or what comes after it, is a quotation from the word of God. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus answers Satan, no. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what God has said. Satan comes along, tries to convince Jesus that, oh, you aren't being taken care of. You aren't being given what you need. Now, why don't you go out and get it for yourself? So, but what does Jesus say? No. This is what God has said in his word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, actually. And I want to read that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it. Where God is speaking, and he says this of the people of Israel. He humbled you and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is the lesson that Israel was to learn here? God is the one who takes care of you. God is the one who sustains you. And God does as he wills. And what's the lesson that Jesus knew of this? God is one who will sustain. God is one who will keep me alive. But it is not by going out and disregarding what God has said. Rather, it is by walking in obedience to the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Satan comes along, oh, Jesus, why don't you take care of yourself? Jesus says, no, this is what the Father has said. Man shall not live by bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, temptation comes, and the devil fails. Jesus succeeds. And now we move on to verse 5. That didn't work. The devil tries a new tactic. The devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, 
if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. So imagine this. The temple in Jerusalem, Herod's temple, would have been one of the most glorious buildings the world has ever seen at this point. And it was a massive structure. And Satan takes them there, and they're standing at the very top. They're looking down, and this is what Satan is saying. Okay, Jesus, you want to live by the word of God. You're trusting your father. You're trusting that the father will take care of you. All right, let's put that to the test. How much do you trust the father? Let's go up to this very high place. And he says, all right, son of God, trusting the father, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. Because guess what? It is written in the scriptures, and now Satan is quoting scripture. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is very sneaky on Satan's part. What's he doing? He's quoting scripture. All right, Jesus, you want to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Well, this is what God has said. He will command his angels concerning you in their hands that will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. God said he's going to take care of you, so go ahead, Jesus, jump. You're trusting God, aren't you? Well, there's a problem here. A couple problems, actually. Well, the first problem is look at the one who's speaking, the father of lies. So even as he speaks, uh, you know that he is never going to be straightforward and honest. But one problem here is that if you go to Psalm 91, where this is quoted from, and I can just turn there and read it, Psalm 91, and it's quoted in verses 11 and 12, it says this, For he will give his angels charge concerning you, and notice, this is something that Satan left out, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So what is, being t- what is being talked about here? As someone is going about their way, God will provide care for them. Now, is climbing up onto the temple and jumping because Satan said to jump going about your own ways? <laughs> Absolutely not. So first, Satan leaves out a portion of it. And second, what's Satan trying to do? Well, he's trying to get Jesus to do something that is contrary to the word of God. And Jesus notices this. Jesus catches on to this. And we read it in verse 7. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan, you're twisting scripture. You are trying to cause me to put the Lord to the test. And you're twisting scripture to do it. Twist not scripture, lest ye be like Satan. So what's Satan do? He's First, he's leaving out a portion of it. And second, he's using it, he's trying to apply it in a way that it was never meant to be applied. Right? And we can do this too if we're not careful. What is uh, every sports team's favorite passage of scripture? Right? Who knows it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So guess what? We can do all things. We can go out and win the big game. We're going to, and both teams think that this is true about them. So how does that work out? Whoever has the most faith wins, I'm not sure. But what are they doing? They're taking that completely out of its context, applying it into a place that it was never meant to be applied. 
The Apostle Paul is talking about enduring uh, the, the things that he goes through throughout his work as an apostle. He's not talking about winning sports teams or doing things that are humanly impossible. No, he's talking about God sustaining him through trials, through wherever God leads him. So we can do this very same thing, and Satan does that too. Don't think that Satan doesn't use the Bible. Satan uses it plenty. He's been reading it a lot longer than we have. He knows it very well. The issue is he will twist it. But if we know the Bible, if we are living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, then we too can uh, respond the way that Jesus did, by going to the scriptures to respond. That didn't work. And finally, the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. So, here's the third temptation. And what is the temptation? Well, remember, why is Jesus here on this earth? He came to die. What was he just called about 40 days ago? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In our mind, when we hear lamb, we think, oh, nice, cute, cuddly lamb. They give us nice wool and they're fun to pet. Just a nice, cute animal. In the mind of the person reading this, when they hear lamb, they think sacrifice. They think throat slit, dead, burnt up on an altar. And Jesus was just called the Lamb of God. What is in the future for this Lamb of God? Well, a sacrifice is in the future. We see that he, is, he knows exactly what is going to happen. Jesus didn't begin his ministry not sure what was in store for him. No, he began his ministry knowing exactly what was in store for him, and that was a cross on Calvary to take the wrath of God in the place of mankind so that he could redeem the world. And what's Satan offering him? Okay, son of God, I don't know why you're here. You're here to redeem the world. You're here so that you can ascend to the right hand of the Father, so that you can reign and rule, and all the nations will be put under your feet, and you'll be able to rule over all these things. Well, guess what, son of God? I've got an offer for you. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to endure the suffering and the pain. You don't have to be identified with sin. Everything that you want, everything that you're here for, I'll give to you. The only thing that you have to do is bow down and worship me. Go ahead, son of God. No one else is here. No one will know that you did it. You'll have everything that you wanted. Satan, again, trying to get Jesus to go against the word. But what does Jesus say? And Jesus said to him, go, Satan. And here it is again. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Temptation comes and it bashes against the wall. It's not able to penetrate. Jesus is not, it does not give in because Jesus knows who his God is and he knows what God has said. And unlike our first parents, Adam and Eve, who were in a garden, a place surrounded 
by food. A place that had not yet been stained by sin. There they are with everything they could possibly want. The deceiver comes and they give in within the first hour. But now Jesus, contrasting that, not in a lush, not in a lush garden, but in the desert, in the wilderness. Not surrounded by food, but hungry in a state of weakness. Doesn't have a loving companion with him to strengthen him and help him. No, he is sent out on his own. And yet, Jesus does not give in. Jesus does not give in to the temptation. Why? Well, because he has the word. Not that Adam and Eve didn't have the word. Remember what God told Adam and Eve. All of this I give you. But here's this one limitation. They had all the instruction that they needed. But Jesus too had instruction. But rather than failing to regard that instruction, he believed it. He believed the word that God had given them. And every single time temptation comes along, what does he do? He goes back to the word that God had spoken, knowing that that word is true, knowing that God is true to his word. So, and he says, go away, Satan. I'm going to worship God. You are to worship him only. You are to serve him only. I'm not going to bow down to you. And what does Satan do? Verse 11, the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now, what is this in fulfillment of? Well, Psalm 91. As the devil said, oh, the angels will watch you. Of course, he's twisting it out of context. Throw yourself off the ledge and the angels will protect you. No, Jesus goes on his way in perfect obedience to God. And after this trial, after this testing, after this temptation... Here come the angels to minister to him, to give him comfort. So, going back to what was read at the beginning of this in the book of Romans. So then, so then as one, through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as, through, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is our righteous Savior. This is our great high priest. Not one who did not undergo temptation as we do, but one who faced those temptations and yet without sin. Here we have our federal head, the one who walked in perfect obedience to the Father, never wavering for a second, even when temptations came the strongest. When we read this passage, we, and consider our own lives, we see nothing but our own failures. We see where we give in. We're see, we see where we have believed the lies of Satan. We see where we put our own comforts above what God has said. And we see where we go outside of what God has commanded in order to achieve some end that we desire. But Jesus did none of those things. And Jesus now, acting as our high priest, is our representative before God. 
Jesus succeeded where we have failed. And in Christ, we have that perfect, great high priest. So that through faith in him, we can be reckoned as righteous. We can be reckoned as perfect. When God looks at us, he sees the perfect obedience of his son. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful as we consider Jesus, our great high priest, the one who came and lived a life facing temptation far greater than we can even imagine, and yet doing so without sin. We thank you that we have this head, this high priest, this one who did not fail, who did not sin, but walked a perfectly righteous and obedient life, not for his sake, but for ours. We thank you that we can be considered as righteous because of what he has done. And we're thankful that our unrighteous deeds have all been put away on the cross of Jesus. We praise you and we thank you and we pray that we'd be blessed by this word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.